Welcome. Welcome to our latest stage in our journey through Exodus. We are walking together as a church through this book. We are aware that we will keep seeing patterns within the book of Exodus that speak to us of God's big redemption story. We've said that as we take this journey together, as we walk through these 40 chapters, we will keep bumping into Jesus. And I hope we do that today. I hope we bump into the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords through this message. Last week, Tim opened up for us one of the most famous chapters in this book. In fact, probably one of the most well-known chapters in Scripture as he talked about God and Moses. Moses encountering God in the burning bush. Tim reminded us of who God is, of his presence, of the fact he sees us and hears us, that he really is the great I Am. And today we're going to focus on the other person in that interchange. We're going to focus on Moses. Moses, this great leader, one of the great leaders in Scripture, a hero of the nation of Israel and still honoured at the time of Jesus. The writer to the Hebrews uses the greatness of Moses to reveal the even more amazing greatness, if you can use that phrase, of Jesus. He writes this in Hebrews 3, verses 2 to 6. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, that's Jesus, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Moses, he says later on in verse 5, was, a faith, as, was faithful as a servant in all God's house, bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future. So the writer to the Hebrews is, is saying Moses was a great leader and a great prophet. He testified to what was to come. But Moses is not perfect. One of the things I love about Scripture is its reality. That the great heroes and heroines of Scripture are not tidied up for us. They don't go from one great success to the next. No, they live real life. Yes, they have some great successes, but they also have some great challenges. Moses was fallible. Moses receives an incredible call from God to lead people out of slavery and into the promised land by way of worship and covenant. We need to remind ourselves that the story of Exodus is not just a story about rescue. Although Hollywood tends to focus on that first half of the book, it is also a story about relationship and about God placing the people somewhere. As one preacher phrased it, God draws them out in order to draw them in. Moses responds to this incredible call, but it's not easy. This is not a fairy story. It's an adventure. It's a historic adventure. It involves real people in real situations. Moses was a real man with fallibility and with all the foibles of a real man. He was at times impetuous, insecure 
and occasionally annoyingly stupid. Does that remind you of anybody? It does me. It reminds me of me. I have a great call under God. But at times I can be insecure. At times I can be impetuous. At times I can be annoyingly stupid. You see, we have an incredible calling on our lives because what is true of me, friends, is sometimes true of some of you. And we have an incredible calling on our lives. Matthew 28, verse 16, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you to the very end of the age. What a calling. What a calling to these real men and women in Galilee. What a calling to these real men and women who when we read the Gospels we see are often insecure and impetuous and sometimes stupid. What a calling to us. We have a calling to lead people out of slavery and into relationship. We are called to draw people out so that they can be drawn in. Our sphere of influence may be much smaller than that of Moses. We may be thinking about our household, our neighbourhood, our city. Moses was called to lead two million people. So our sphere of influence, the size of the outworking of our call might be different, but the call is the same. To rescue people from slavery, to draw people out that they might be drawn into glorious kingdom relationship with God. Moses was an ordinary man with an extraordinary God. And we are the same. So we are going to look at this man in the first few chapters of this book. Now, remember, we're not going to preach verse by verse. Our walk through Exodus will include a verse-by-verse reading plan. Hopefully you've already started digging in to that. It will include 18 sermons and weekly devotions and life groups, friendships and household discussions. In this uh, message, we're going to just look at some highlights of chapters 3, 4 and 5 to reveal Moses' humanity, to unpack some of his insecurity and to see what God does about that. Put simply, we're going to look at what Moses says to God. We're going to briefly look at what God says to Moses. We're going to look at what God does for Moses. And then we're going to look at what Moses does for God. So Moses encounters God at the burning bush. Let's look at the different things that Moses says to God in this encounter. God says, so now go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? 
Then in verse 13, Moses says to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me, and they ask, What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? In these chapters that include Moses' call and commissioning, Moses comes up with five excuses why he is the wrong man for the job. Five reasons why he shouldn't be doing it. In these verses, we get the first couple. Firstly, who am I, he says. Who am I? Moses has lost his identity. Moses has forgotten who he is. Why is that? Because in verse 10 of chapter 2, Moses clearly has no issue with his identity. Let's read it. It says, One day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labour. So he knows they're his people. He's confident. He goes out into a possibly kind of dangerous environment, but he goes out. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people, looking this way and that. And seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. Moses is a man of confidence, a man of action, a man of awareness. He knows who he is. He knows the power he has. He steps in and makes a decision. What has happened between the beginning of chapter 2 and Moses going, who am I? Well, of course, what's happened is the rest of chapter 2. He's discovered He feels a failure and he flees. He spends the next 40 years looking after sheep in the desert. By the time Moses gets his call from God, he has lost his identity in past failure and the passing of time. He feels too old and too broken. What is more, he also feels he lacks knowledge. What shall I say? Who shall I say sent me? If he goes, he feels he'll be exposed in his ignorance. He doesn't want to go back to his place of failure and also look a fool. Who am I? Oh, I don't know. I don't don't have the knowledge. We read on, Moses answered, What if they do not believe me or listen to me and say the Lord did not appear to you? This is the beginning of chapter 4 and we get excuse number 3. Well, they won't believe me. Moses doubts his identity, he doubts his knowledge and now he doubts his power to persuade. They won't believe me. Why should I tell them? If I go and tell them, they might not believe me. Therefore, it's better I don't go. What an interesting position. They might not believe me, so therefore it's better that I don't know. Don't go. This is classic worry, classic anxiety. Moses is making a decision in the present based on a future that he doesn't know. That's worry. Where in excuse number one, Moses is being limited by his past and that which he did know, in excuse number three, Moses is letting himself be limited by the future which he doesn't know. Excuse number four. We read on, chapter four. Moses said to the Lord, Pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past 
nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. Fair play to Moses. He's really going for it. He really doesn't want to go. Who am I? I haven't got the knowledge. They won't believe me. And now I have a disability. I'm particularly fond of this excuse because I have a speech impediment. It took me a long time to learn to speak. I'm able to preach on a platform now because of medical intervention when I was a child. Scholars debate this verse, whether it's just Moses thinking I'm not very good at speaking or whether actually the Hebrew, this I am slow of speech and tongue, actually speaks of an impediment, a physical impediment, a, a stammer or a stutter. And then number five. So Moses doubts his identity. Who am I? Moses thinks I haven't got knowledge. Moses says they won't believe me. Moses then says, and also, do you know me, God? Look, I'm, I, I can't speak. I just can't do it. And then number five, Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. In the end, he just goes for total honesty. Please send someone else. I don't want to go. Moses, this great leader, is showing us his fallibility. He's showing us his humanity. We have to remember that Moses wrote this book. That doesn't mean he sat down and did a diary every day, but all of the events we read about in Exodus would have been sealed in oral tradition from Moses and then probably tra transcribed at different points and then collated. So Moses is the author of Exodus. And so it is Moses himself who is revealing his humanity to us. He's letting us know. Here's five excuses. Who am I? I don't have the right knowledge. They won't believe me. I don't have the right skills. I don't want to go. At one level, excuses two to five are all an outworking of excuse number one. Who am I? Moses is revealing to us the insecurity he has at his core about who he is in God. We have a great calling, don't we? To take the gospel to our neighbourhood, our nation and the nations. And yet we struggle. Why? Because just like Moses, we can doubt our identity in God. What does God say to Moses? I'm just going to fly through some of God's responses. And God said... I will be with you, and this will be a sign to you that it is I who have sent you. God said to Moses, I am who I am. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent you. Then the, so I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians, says God. Then the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? The Lord said to him, Who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak. 
And then finally, then the Lord's anger burned against Moses. This is after Moses' fifth excuse when he says, send someone else. What about your brother Aaron the Levite? I know he can speak well. He is already on his way to meet you and he will be glad to see you. There's always an implication that God is getting frustrated here with Moses. What we notice when we look at the way that God responds to Moses is that God never disagrees. God does not say to Moses, oh, you're a really great man, or oh, you speak really well, or don't worry about the past, you didn't really kill that uh, Egyptian, or, or don't worry about the fact you're now 80 years old. God at no point denies the source of Moses' insecurity. He has been speaking to sheep for the last 40 years. It's quite likely that his conversation, his daily conversation, has not been inspired for the last 40 years. God does not encourage Moses by at this point redefining who Moses is. God encourages Moses by reminding Moses who God is. And friends, this is faith. Not trusting what we can do for God in our own insecurity, but trusting what God can do in us and for us and through us. God is a realist about who we are. Think about the New Testament for a moment. In John's Gospel, we're told, without Christ we can do nothing, but in Christ we can do all things. So when God replies, he doesn't appease Moses, but he does inspire him through revelation of who God is. And on the basis of that revelation, God then does things for Moses, both through what he says and through what he does. So God reminds Moses of his identity. God says to him, I am the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. God is reminding Moses that he is a man of the covenant people of God. God has not appeared to him just at random. No, God has appeared to Moses because he has this heritage in the promises of God. God also reminds Moses of the experience he does have. That lovely phrase where he looks at Moses, what is in your hand? Moses has doubted his gifting, his ability to speak. Moses has doubted whether people will follow him. So God says, well, what's in your hand? And Moses says, well, well a staff. The staff was the, the, the uh, stick the shepherd had to protect the sheep from those who were trying to attack them. God is saying to Moses, look, you know what it is to lead. You know what it is to protect. You know what it is to beat back the bear and the wolf and the robber. The staff was not the tool that was used to draw the sheep on. No, that was the crook. He had a crook and a staff. Yeah? The staff is what, what defeats. So God says, look, in the natural, Moses, yeah, in the natural, remember your identity. You are someone who has beaten back the enemy. But God also reveals his power. 
having revealed some of Moses' natural resource, having reminded Moses of who he is in God, he now says, but there'll also be supernatural experience. He throws the staff on the floor. It becomes a snake. Moses runs away and God has to call him back so he picks the snake up by the tail and it becomes a staff again. God is reminding Moses that his natural experience will become supernatural experience. God reminds Moses that he has community around him and God uses that community to encourage and protect him. Moses, standing there alone, has all this self-doubt. So God reminds him, you're part of the covenant people. You have some natural gifting that I've put in you over the last 40 years. There's supernatural ability coming, but there's also a people coming. If you read into chapter 5, you'll see Jethro blesses Moses. Moses goes to his family and receives blessing and affirmation and encouragement. God tells him here, Aaron is on his way, your brother, your family. And then later we'll read about Zipporah, her act of faith to protect Moses' life. What does God do for Moses? He reminds him, you're in community. You're not alone. It's what God does for us. God at no point denies that we were sinners in need of saving. But he also reminds us that you have been saved. You're part of the covenant people of God. I have placed, I have used your history to place gifting and knowledge in you, but I've also placed my Holy Spirit in you to give you supernatural gifting and knowledge. And I don't work with just you alone. God says, I'm placing you in a community, a covenant community. Remember that from our vision and values? God has placed us in a covenant community, the local church, that we might encourage and protect and stir and walk alongside one another. Moses is a man just like us, fallible. He's made mistakes. He'll make some more. But God says, remember who you are in me. Remember where I've placed you. Remember what I have done in the past and what I will do again in the future. And what does Moses therefore now do for God? What, what's the story we will read over the next 35 verses, well, chapters? Well, spoiler alert, <laughs> Moses does lead the people out of slavery. Moses does lead the people through the Red Sea and to the mountain. Moses does receive the law. Moses does lead people, the people to the edge of the promised land. Moses does become obedient and available to God. Most of what Moses is afraid of does actually happen. They didn't believe him. They did challenge his ability and his authority. He often didn't have the right gifts at the right time. He sometimes misspoke and got it wrong. But because he was obedient and available, these did not become limiting factors. Moses did learn. Moses did get better at trusting God. Moses would have genuine mountaintop experiences. But Moses did not become perfect. As we read through these chapters, we will notice that as well as making mistakes in the past, Moses will make mistakes in the future. 
And therefore, he needed the grace of God. Moses was not just given a task, he was offered a relationship. Moses, like us, will be sanctified through his lifetime. He is being refined in the way that we are being refined through his experience, through his life. And we're reminded in Moses that we are all sanctified in the context of relationship. Moses' imperfection did not stop God loving him and walking with him all the way to the end of his life. Let me read you this verse, these verses from Deuteronomy 34. Then Moses climbed Mount Nebo from the plains of Moab to the top of Pisgah across from Jericho. There the Lord showed him the whole land from Gilead to Dan, all of Naphtali, the territory of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah as far as the Mediterranean Sea, the Negev and the whole region of the valley of Jericho, the city of Palms as far as Zoar. Then the Lord said to him, This is the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob when I said I will give it to your descendants. I have let you see it with your eyes but you'll not cross over into it. And Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in Moab, as the Lord had said, and the Lord buried him in Moab. Exodus is such a helpful book because it reveals to us a leader who was imperfect, who had lots of excuses, just like us, who had a great call on his life, just like us us who would make mistakes in the future just like we will do friends but who modeled a relationship with God who modeled availability and obedience even in the context of his insecurity he models for us a man walking with God who has such a relationship with God such intimacy with God that at the end of his life God himself lays him in the ground when he dies. Friends, this is what we are promised. We are promised a call. We've been given a call despite our imperfection. We're promised the presence of God with us. We need to be available. We need to be obedient. And we need to remember again that Moses points to the great leader who we are in relationship with. Jesus. There is only one man who's had perfect relationship with God and has perfectly fulfilled the call of God on his life, and that is Jesus. We learn from Moses. We are inspired by Moses. In this series, we're going to walk alongside Moses. But we're also constantly going to be reminded that we are looking to and we are following Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for an incredible call on our lives to walk with you and bring the kingdom of God into every area. We thank you that you call us not ignorant of our insecurities and our imperfections, but wanting to meet us in them and restore us in our identity in you. Lord, help us to be increasingly available and obedient to you 
that we might do all you have called us to do in our generation. Amen.